we are continuing in our Grace Upon Grace series. Jonathan Pack shared last week. I shared the week before. And we have a couple other guest speakers who will be sharing throughout this series. I do want to say this. I do not take today's message lightly. And I've been praying the past couple weeks that I communicate this very clearly. Grace is really clear, but grace is so ambiguous as well. Now, a couple weeks ago, what we learned was this, is that God, by his grace, has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. Now, many of you after the service, many of you over the past couple weeks, have reached out and said that you've been encouraged by the idea that grace gives us everything that we need to live a godly life. Now, the good thing is, is it's not my idea, it's God's idea, right? Amen? It's the Bible's idea. And one of the scriptures that we looked at was in 2 Peter um, chapter 1, 2 and 3. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need to, uh, for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. We have everything we need to live a godly life because of his grace. Now, the reason why we shared being empowered by grace is because grace for far too long I believe has been lazily understood for many, not all. It's more desirable for grace to be understood as fire insurance rather than the power to overcome sin. So several weeks ago, maybe some of us walked out of here and we were encouraged to take on the world of sin. Now what I mean by that is we were not inviting sin in. But when sin came, when temptation came, hopefully we went back to Scripture to understand that as new creations, we have the very power of God living inside of us to overcome sin. Just as when Paul cried out to God three times, will you take this thorn out of my flesh? And what God said is, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Amen? That was a hard message to preach. Not because it's not truth, but because a lot of times what people want to hear is, hey, leave me alone, God's grace covers me. But grace is so big. Now the issue is over the past couple weeks, the enemy has likely spoken two things over our lives. The first thing might have been, Joey wasn't preaching grace, Joey was preaching works. Anyone hear that over the past couple weeks? Or if it wasn't that, it might have been, since grace empowers us, there is no room for honest mistakes. So then we start becoming legalistic and we start keeping score. What I've noticed is there's tension in grace. There's tension throughout the Bible. And this tension is intended to keep us in the lane that we're supposed to be in. 
See, grace is God's undeserved favor. Amen? But grace is also the power to overcome sin. And they kind of seem like they're at opposite ends. And the opposite ends push us down the appropriate lane. Yet as believers, we have to learn to live down this lane, in this tension, because grace is multifaceted. Now, not only is grace multifaceted, the Bible is multifaceted. For example, do you believe in the sovereignty of God? Yes. Do you also believe in the free will of man? Opposites. Almost opposites, but we live in that tension where we believe in the sovereignty, but we also believe in our free will. What about this? Do you believe that salvation is absolutely free in the finished work on the cross that Jesus died on? We believe in that. But do you also believe that following Christ will cost you everything? So we believe in the finished work. We don't have to do anything, but we also believe that following him requires everything. Now, for the unbeliever, they would say that that's where the Bible contradicts itself. And for the believer, logically, this doesn't make sense, but biblically, it's consistent. There's multifaceted aspects of grace and of the Bible. And because of society, we have been told we have to pick one side. You have to follow the law or you have to live completely in grace I bring this up today because this message today is not a contradiction of two weeks ago. It's not a contradiction of God's grace empowering us. God has given us the power to overcome sin. And today's message, his grace liberates us to be free. How can you be empowered and free And it'd be the same thing. So today, I want to discuss what it means to be liberated by grace. How many of you guys want to be liberated by grace? Um, But I do share this because I think, I know, the Bible steps on our toes, amen? Today's message is not for one specific person. Today's message is not a me writing the church of MCF. Today, as we've planned a series out, we've studied the scriptures about what it means to be um, liberated by grace, here's the message. So if I step outside of the Bible, please come talk to me. If I operate within the Bible, please pray about it and ask God to transform your heart. So I want to be explicitly clear up front. Where the church messes up is when we justify sin and say that it is okay to live as we want because of grace. I think we've all messed up and done that. But we always say this out of context. Paul was clear about what the acts of the flesh are. And we're going to look at those today. But the church also messes up when they try to be legalistic, when they try to put people under the law to please God. 
My point is this, is freedom does not mean freedom to participate in the acts of the uh, flesh. Freedom is freedom from man's rules of engaging God. How weird of a church would it be? I'm like, hey, every time we come in here, we got to take 10 laps. And if you don't take 10 laps, then God doesn't love you. Rules. The message is hard, but let's get into it. As I got into this and I had asked questions with leadership and um, Mark, Macy, as I do some study, some of the questions that came up is to be saved. Do you absolutely have to be baptized to be saved? Are you not going to heaven if you don't get baptized? Now, baptism is a practical step of obedience. God says, hey, be baptized. So because he says to be baptized, we should do that. It's a coming out party of saying I'm following Christ and I'm giving my life to him and I will be immersed in water and transformed and brought up in new life. Amen? But if someone gives their life to Christ today at Mechanics for Christian Fellowship and we didn't baptize them, if they die, do they go to hell? No. They go to heaven. So some of the rules is, do we have to be baptized to be saved? Do you have to be circumcised on the eighth day to be saved? And I think that uh, we would say that these are not rules or laws that get us to heaven. What about these? Romans 13, 1 through 3 says this. Everyone must submit to their governing authority. Anyone ever speed? Come on now. Anyone ever speed in here? You want to know what's embarrassing? This person is no longer at MCF, and I know why. But when Macy and I were um, um, coming, traveling from Piqua, when we, when we lived in Piqua and we were serving as uh, youth leaders here, <laughs> there was an MCFer. Um, driving on Route 29, and they were going too slow, and I passed them. And then I realized as I passed them, because you don't, you always look at people when you pass them, right? Like you have to know who you are beating. So I passed them, and I looked at them. They didn't make eye contact with me, but then I'm like, oh, that's a church member. That's kind of weird, right? They're no longer here. So <laughs> them legalists. They said, the pastor, a pastor is speeding. But have you ever sped? The Bible says to follow the law of the land. Have you ever sped? Of course you have. Have you ever like sat at the stop sign for two seconds rather than three seconds? Have you ever not put on your blinker exactly at 100 feet? <laughs> Did you put it on too soon or too late? How about this? If we're supposed to follow the law of the land, during the crisis of 2020, did you always keep six feet of distance? Did you always mask up? Did you all always follow every rule? And these are questions. Am I free or am I under the law? What about this? The Bible says actually in the Old Testament that if we are to tithe, most numbers come to not 10%, but 23.5%. Come on, somebody. 
are you guys giving 23.5% of tithe? Cricket, cricket. What about this? Does a woman have to wear a head covering in church to honor God? Does a man have to uncover his head to honor God? Does a woman have to have a certain length of hair to honor God? And if a woman has to have a certain length of hair to honor God, what is the length? And where do we find it? And then how short does a man's hair have to be to honor God? Pretty soon I'm not going to have to worry about that. <laughs> Just saying. I mean, y'all are going to come in here one week and you're going to be like, who's up there preaching? <laughs> Paul tells us we need to greet everyone with a holy kiss. Can we start greeting everyone with a holy kiss here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship? What about this? The law of the land is saying we must, we must, or we must obey the law of the land, but the law of the land is saying we must keep six feet distance. But Paul's telling us we must greet everyone with a holy kiss. What do we need to do? How do we honor God? And then we find ourselves in situations like that where we feel like failures because we can't greet Mark with a holy kiss because I have to be six feet away. But then I'm dishonoring God, right? How exhausting, how exhausting it can be to try to be the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit and look for everything that everyone is doing wrong. Amen? Did you guys hear that? How exhausting can it be to try to be the Holy Spirit? What about divorce and remarriage? What about those rules? This is where legalism takes place. Is God's grace came to set us free from legalism. Legalism takes place when we allow ourselves certain freedoms, yet point out other people's freedoms. For example, is wearing a hat in church a sin? No. Is, wearing a head is not wearing a head covering in church a sin? No. In 1 Corinthians 11, what ends up happening is Paul is addressing a spirit of the day. And many would say that a spirit of the day that Paul was addressing was gender roles. I was going to say gender rules, but that's not right. Gender roles. Paul was addressing gender roles. And what would happen is many prostitutes during that time, what they would do is, as an act of rebellion they would cut their hair really short. And they would begin to show that they're rebellious towards church, towards men in their life, and that they wanted to live a life however they wanted. Women who were wearing long hair and would cover their hair, it was an act of um, submission, not in a weird way, just an act of honor to God and culture during that time. So an example of that today would be this. Um, if Macy and I go to the gym, 
which we don't. <laughs> Can you tell? If Macy and I went to the gym, and then before the gym, what I decided is, well, Macy's not here today, and um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my wedding ring off. I'm going to take my wedding ring off, and I'm going to walk around the gym without a wedding ring, making sure that everyone in here recognizes that I'm using five-pound dumbbells to bench, and I want to impress them. I would take my wedding ring off intentionally to show that I have a rebellious spirit against the authority in my life because I want girls, women, whatever, right? I want women to come tell me how cute I am and to flirt with me. So I believe culturally speaking in 1 Corinthians 11, what was going on was a spirit of rebellion. Women not wearing head coverings and cutting their hair was almost today like us not wearing a wedding ring. Now, it's not really why we're sitting here today. The question today is this. Is, does the Bible say that women have to wear head coverings or guys can't wear hats to honor God? I would say that I do not see that in the Bible. And let's be honest. If guys can't cover their head, then women have to wear head coverings. And if women have to wear head coverings, then guys, we better all just shave our hair completely bald because the Bible does not say how short hair should be. So we should probably be legalistic about it and just all shave heads. Amen? Preach. I told you today's message uh, is interesting. Now, here's what I would agree with. Culturally speaking, culturally speaking, in some cultures, what ends up happening is this is people don't wear hats in church. People don't wear head coverings in church. Culturally speaking, in America, even in Champaign County, you wear your finest clothes to church, three-piece suits. Why? Because wearing three-piece suits and preaching from the King James is the only way to honor God. Come on, somebody. We have been set free. So culturally speaking, I understand that we might not like it, but where does it stop? Where does our legalism stop? Because Christ has set us free. As I talk to some of my friends who are church leaders in Africa, they've shared with me, Joey, there's churches that we walk into and there's men who don't wear anything from the bottom down. And it's just normalized. And then he said, all the women, they don't wear any tops. And he said, no one thinks anything about it. There's just nothing weir weird going on. It's cultural. I imagine if that person walked into our culture today. It'd kind of be weird, right? We'd be like, you sinner, what are you doing? It would be strange. Now, we would try to help them within cultural standards. But here's what's important is... We don't want to be people who start pointing out these, what about Crocs in church? Can we wear Crocs in church? Are Crocs acceptable? 
to some people, Crocs are not acceptable, but we still have Crocs who are here. And a person with, a person with, God's not looking at the Crocs, right? What about jeans? Can we wear jeans in church? What about holy jeans? Of course we can. Because Christ has set us free. Nevertheless, um, if it's a cultural issue and we say, hey, culturally speaking, culturally speaking, this is what culture does. And since culture does this, this is what the church needs to do, then who's leading the church? Culture or the church? As believers, we look to the Bible to lead the church, and we are getting to Scripture. His grace gives us freedom. And if you think that today's message is about a hat or a head covering or hair length, we're missing it. We are going to look at a familiar scripture today. We looked at this um, about a year and a half ago. But a simple refresh. Paul planted a church in Galatia. He planted the church on Christ and Christ alone. Nothing else. No works, no law, no sacrifice. But he found out certain groups of people were saying that you had to be circumcised to be saved. And he's frustrated. And that's where we start today. Paul is frustrated because people are trying to add to the work of the cross. So scripture is clear. We have freedom. Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free or set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So Paul's telling those in Galatia, you have been set free. Paul is saying that Jesus set us free so that we can enjoy freedom. You know what the church doesn't do well sometimes is enjoy life. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You and I can enjoy life. Jesus doesn't want us to live under the rule of slavery again. I've heard of people, <laughs> this, is, this is how crazy we are. Well, not you guys, this is how crazy I can be, but this wasn't me. This example is not me. I've heard of people who when fasting, they would tape their mouth shut the day before they would fast. Because by taping their mouth shut, that meant that there wouldn't be even a speck of dust that could get into their mouth because they felt like if they swallowed anything, any dust, any dirt, any particle, that God would be displeased with them. Isn't that crazy? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. God is concerned with our heart, not the minor dust particle that enters our mouth. So Paul continues to share, and he says this, your final destination is at stake based upon the view of freedom versus law. Your final destination is at stake. Our final destination is at stake. What is interesting is for Titus and those in Galatia to even consider circumcision, it meant that there was a desire for them to be under the law. 
And Paul says three things here that are weighty and scary. These are words that we have to consider when it comes to law versus freedom. And the first thing he says is this, is if you go and try to follow these laws that say you are honoring God if, then Christ will have no value for you. Verse two, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. If you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. So he's telling those in Galatia, look, I've preached to you the gospel of grace and grace alone. And now there's these false teachers that are coming to say, hey, look, you have to be circumcised to be saved. So how does that relate to us in our culture today? The Bible never changes. Amen? I'm not changing the Bible here. The Bible doesn't change. Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here's why we get scared. is because when I say how does that relate to culture today, there's people in here who are like, is he about to go woke? Anyone in here wondering if I'm about to go woke? By the grace of God, I'm not going woke. Amen? But culturally speaking, Paul's saying, hey, look, if you want to be under the law, if you want to be under the law, Christ is of no value to you. How many of us only give 20 bucks a week or 500 bucks a week or whatever change we have in our pockets each week because we think that we're making God happy and that we're earning our way to heaven. We're not. We're not making him happy if we're just giving based upon the law. We're making him happy when we give because we love him and our hearts want to honor him. Amen? So he says, look, if, if that's what you want to add to your life, he's of no value to you. If you think that there's profit for you or benefit for you in circumcision, then there is no saving benefit for you in Christ. If the Galatians relied on the works of circumcision for their salvation, they cannot lean on Christ for the same. And when I go to heaven, when I meet Jesus face to face, I'm not going to say, but I did this, but I did this, but I did this, but I did this. I can't lean on the things that I've done. When I go to heaven, I'm going to lean solely on the work of his son. Amen? The apostasy, listen to this, the apostasy of the Galatians didn't come from denying Christ. The apostasy of the Galatians came from them adding one simple rule, you must be circumcised. The Galatian church believed in Jesus. Paul wasn't mad about them believing in Jesus, but their apostasy came when they added to the cross. So how about this? The apostasy of some of the modern day churches isn't that they deny Jesus. The apostasy 
is that they add Jesus plus something else. We have freedom to flag and dance in worship. Amen? We have freedom to respond at the altar. We have freedom to wear Crocs. We have freedom to wear shorts. We have freedom to run and dance. I am free to run and I'm free to dance. Amen? Second warning that Paul gives is he says, anyone who gets circumcised because they believe it's law, it's a law that makes God happy, we will, uh, we will have to fulfill the entire law. So if you think that you're doing something good to make God happy, then you're going to have to follow the entire law. Again, verse 3 here, he says, Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. How many of you guys want to be obligated to fulfill the whole law? For the younger generation... Um, who have TikTok or Reels or whatever, there's this little girl who uh, tells her daddy, you worry about yourself. You guys remember that? Any of you guys seen that one? You worry about yourself. None of you. Well, after church, okay, Janae, thank you. After church, I'm going to send it on the church remind. <laughs> and if the older generation can figure, out, figure it out, I think you will enjoy it. I think what we need to do is do more of worrying about our shelf. Right? We come into church and we get so frustrated because of what someone's wearing or not wearing. I remember several years ago, we've had um, literally some prostitutes walk in here. Praise God. Come on, somebody. They weren't, they weren't on the clock. Like, we have an issue if they were on the clock. The prostitutes walked in here because they wanted to discover who Jesus was. But the clothes that they had were not appropriate. But guess what? That's of no bother to me what they're wearing because my response and my eyes are unto God. Your eyes and your response is unto God. And I was so thankful that we would have women who were willing to walk into the church who wanted to find him. All I saw was women who wanted to uh, find Jesus. Right? What Paul is saying here is, look, do you want to follow the whole law? If you're going to hold this prostitute right here, not pointing at Bob, <laughs> if you want to point this prostitute and say she's not honoring God because of her clothes. Now, there comes a point where it's like, hey, let's disciple them. Let's teach them. Let's live sacrificially and as we love them, take them somewhere to help them get clothes. Let's teach them about what it means to live honest lives, to repent of their sins, to live holy and in purity, Right? But if, if it's about church clothes, then what Paul is saying is if we as a church judge, judge this woman for what she's wearing, then because we're living under the law, 
we will be judged based upon whether we fulfill the whole law or not. Who wants to worry about themselves? I want to worry about myself. How many of you guys want to live? How many of you guys want to make it to heaven based upon following the whole law or not? I don't. I can't. That's where legalism takes place. Putting ourselves under the law um, is a burden because it requires perfection, perfect obedience to be right with God. Animal sacrifices don't work anymore since Jesus has lived, died, and resurrected. So he warns everyone. He warns you and I. He warned the Galatian church that if you want to be under the law, then you have to live it perfectly. Third, he says this. If you are trying to please God by being justified by the law, you have been alienated by Christ and you have fallen from grace. Verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Aren't these pretty three scary warnings? Isn't this a scary warning that if we try to be justified by the law, we're going to be alienated from him? Paul leaves absolutely no room for compromise in this. He makes it plain. Those who attempt to gain their justification from the law are cut from Christ and cut from grace because they are attempting to accomplish their own salvation instead of trusting in the grace and the mercy of God. Plain and simple, law and grace are opposites. Law seeks to find righteousness by doing Grace receives righteousness through faith as a free gift of God. Law points us, I'm sorry, law points to us, grace points to him. Amen? So the legalists in here, and that's all of us because we can all be legalists. So the legalists in here are saying, well, there have to be rules. You have to give people boundaries. But the issue is we don't give God's boundaries, we give man, man's boundaries. And man's boundaries are based upon our preferences and maybe our traditions. And maybe the person wrapped in sin is saying, I can continue in my ways because of God's grace. And I would look at all of us and say, you're both wrong. Grace doesn't allow us to continue in our sin. And also, um, yeah, there are boundaries. So freedom has boundaries. Um, Macy has a nice beta fish. Macy's beta fish is named is Marv. He's a beautiful beta fish. If you ever come over, you can check him out. But Marv has his bigger than normal beta fish tank, 75 gallons. I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, like the beta fishes are abused, right? They usually just sit in a little goldfish cup at the fair. But this one might be a gallon tank. 
So Marv is sitting in there. Marv is free to live in that tank. He can do whatever he wants in that tank. But his freedom, and based upon the way that he was created, does not allow him to be outside of the tank. Fish in the ocean and lakes, they're free to live within the boundaries by which they were created for within the ocean, within the lakes, within the rivers. Just like a lion can't go deep sea swimming or diving. Land animals, they have their freedoms and their boundaries as well. So freedom has boundaries. I'm not here preaching woke theology that says we can live however we want. Freedom has boundaries. Galatians thir- or 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedoms to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Paul makes a distinction. He says we are called to be free. We are free from the over 600 Old Testament laws. We are free from the expectation and tradition of what man or woman has put on us. But our freedom... Our freedom is not to indulge in the flesh. Amen? So we are free to live in our one-gallon tank, but we are not free to live outside of that, which is indulging the flesh. The freedom that Christ died for wasn't intended to be used as a reason to sin. The entire law is fulfilled in loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's why Paul continues to say that freedom needs to be used to serve one another. So our freedom is here to love one another, be patient with one another, not devour one another. And this is where I find issue within the church. Now, stay with me for a moment. Paul is saying that we have freedom so that we can walk in unity. This means that this doesn't give us the ability to hate or criticize one another. It also doesn't mean we argue with other people about their freedoms. If they are sinning, make sure that you keep them accountable. But if they are walking in the freedom of the Spirit that you are not walking in, it's between them and God. So you're asking the question, What is the difference between freedom and sin? I think Paul will answer that. Verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he's starting to point to what um, our freedoms are not. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So this ties into two weeks ago. Grace empowers us to live 
because we are new creations. As a new creation, we carry the very presence of God. We are the temple of God. And as we walk in the empowerment of grace, or in other words, we walk in the spirit, we will not gratify the flesh. Because the spirit will not lead us to do things that are contrary to him. So people who are following the spirit, the law means nothing to them. Amen? Does that make sense? Because the spirit is not going to lead you to do something that is against him. But what is the difference in sin versus freedom? Paul makes it clear. Sin is this, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery or debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what are the sins? The sins are obvious. I'm going to read them again. Sexual immorality, uh, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So what's being said here, in the context of Galatians 5, and really the whole book of Galatians, is Paul is saying, you have freedom in Christ, in Christ alone, but your freedoms are never going to tell you to do these things. Amen? So you are free. So giving you freedom, as you can hear today, is not living woke. Giving you freedom means you're going to live in this tension. You're going to live in following the Spirit. See, the legalist will look at this lists, and because legalists want lists, and as they look at this list, they will find the category of something that they don't like, and they will make it fit. So, for example, a legalist might look at this list and say, the person who wears jeans to church or Crocs to church or doesn't meet my expectation of dress is sowing seeds of discord and dissension or creating hatred. The legalist might be looking at this list and they're already trying to categorize why something that someone is doing in their life offends them and where they can fit it in and then point it out. Anyone in here want to admit that that was you? That's not what this list is. The sins of the flesh are obvious. The sins of the flesh, we don't have to create a conspiracy, right? We don't have to create a conspiracy to figure it out. That, you know what, Pastor Joey was walking on this side of the stage because he was preaching to me, but he really wasn't preaching to me because what he was wearing, and because what he was wearing, he was sowing seeds of dissension, That's what a legalist might do. Legalists might tend to stretch what Paul is saying here to fit their narrative based upon their culture and what they want. 
And this is why Paul again says, love your neighbor and walk in the spirit. So the sins of the flesh are obvious. The things that we are not free to do are obvious. But what is freedom? Verse 22, Paul's going to let us know. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its uh, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So the acts of the Spirit, or the fruits of the Spirit, are clear. Our freedoms are clear to love, to have joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They allow a person freedom. Against those things, there is no law. There's no law against love. But you may say, to be explicitly clear, you, say, you may say, well, Joey, isn't it loving to my kid who wants to uh, have homosexual tendencies to support them? That's not love. You tell them the truth. And you love them. And you love them. Right? You don't kick them out of your house. You don't tell them that they're good for nothing. You love them and you pray for them. Amen? But what we can't say here, what we can't, we, 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 we can't be woke and say that love means that we can change the law. That's not love. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're free and no law is against any of those. So what does that mean for you and I? We generally worry about ourselves. We worry about how our relationship is with God today. We celebrate that some people have different freedoms than us. So the question is, how can I express my freedom? What has he set us free from? And here's just some examples today. The curse of the law. We are free from the curse of the law. We are free from the curse of Adam. We see this in Romans 5. We are free from spiritual death. We see that in Ephesians 2. We are free from the fear of death. We see that in Hebrews we are free from condemnation, Romans 8. We are free from the power of sin, Romans 6. We are free from the authority of Satan, Colossians 1. We are free to approach God, Hebrews 10. We are free to relate to God as his child, Galatians 4. We are free to partake in spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1. We are free to walk with God in life, 2 Corinthians 6. We are free to walk out a purposeful life. Ephesians 2. We are free to talk to God about our problems. Philippians 4. We are free to inherit all that Christ has purchased for us. Galatians 4. We are free from legalism. 
Galatians 1. The list could go on and on and on. I've, <laughs> I've really processed, um, or what's been frustrating to me, I'm happy that Jonathan accidentally prepared to preach last week rather than um, next week. But I just really processed, where do we go with this freedom? Because knowing you guys and both sides of the church, I understand what God has written on my heart and I understand what the Bible says. And I understand sometimes it's really easy to allow culture to dictate what we do within church. If you want to wear a three-piece suit, a five-piece suit, a 17-piece suit, if you want to wear a Rolex, drive a Lamborghini to church, guess what? God bless you. I don't care. If you rolled out of bed and you didn't have time to take a shower and you were running late but you still wanted to come worship the King of Kings and you were in your pajamas, get in here. I'm not going to judge you. And if people in the church want to judge you, then guess what? They're going to have to face God for that one day. And according to Galatians, they're going to be under the whole law. Who wants to be under the whole law? I don't want to be under the whole law. But just because I'm not under the whole law does not mean I live however I want and doesn't mean that I can't live in the fruits of the Spirit. Okay, um, maybe a hard message, maybe not, I don't know. Here's what I do know. Um, God wants to set us free, free from law, free from rules, free from legalism. But their freedoms are not to be expressed in the sins of the flesh that are obvious. So I do not want you walking out of here saying that Joey said I can live however I want. Paul makes it clear but we can also live in extreme freedom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your grace sets us free from legalism. Father, your grace has liberated us. May we learn to walk in that liberation. Father, your grace empowers us to walk away from sin. Your grace empowers us to be free. Your grace empowers us to follow the Spirit. So I pray that today that um, your grace would help us experience those things. In Jesus' name, amen.